Punkiest thing I've heard this week. <laughs> Another barroom brawl <laughs> for Jollyan. Yeah, I'll just get out doing taxes and I just want to tear it up. You English, wild, mm -hmm. heavy drinkers, yep. mad, bad, and dangerous to know. <laughs> That's right. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. We just love the Glasgow kiss. Yep. <laughs> All right, this thing's actually recording now. Oh, I oh, just I'll, started. I'll stop swearing. All right. I was going to say, I pay other people to do my taxes and get hit in the head with pipes. <laughs> oh, why am, why am I not getting money for that? Then? <laughs> well, someone's got to do it. I did a good job. <laughs> taxes, head injury. Yeah. Same diff to me. Will enjoys doing paperwork, though. Ooh, I love paperwork. Wait, maybe I do love paperwork. <laughs> hey, listeners, guess what this is? It's Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome to another exciting episode. This is episode 72. Mm -hmm. We are closing out Women in Horror Month, um, which is the 8th annual. And you can go to, I think it's womeninhorrormonth.com. It and is. find out more about it. And uh, so we are going to be talking about women authors who have influenced horror. But before all that, we're going to talk about what we saw last time. Before we do that, thank you to the Moonrays for giving us intro creature features. Will, what but have you watched? But before that. Before that. After that. <laughs> after uh, what have I watched yeah. recently? <clears throat> Not much. All right. <laughs> I watched a terrible Ricky Gervais replaying David Brent, his character from The Office. Goes on tour with his band. Ugh. Uh, yeah. Not exciting. It wasn't great. It had some funny bits, but eh, it wasn't great. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, um, sometimes you got to think about, like, am I just coasting on my celebrity here? I don't find myself asking that question a lot of myself. He's, he's tried to do other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. His podcast was always good. So, yeah. His, 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 uh, his concert was good. I like that one. Yeah. I don't know that I've seen that one. I, I think my favorite bit is when he, he gets his kid's book about Noah's Ark. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen that? I've not seen okay. it. Okay. You should see this. It's, it's, a, it's a good live one. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Anything else? More Turkish television? No, no Turkish television. Gene's been watching. Uh, let me guess. The Police procedurals. No, <laughs> the terrible, terrible reality show. The only way is Essex. 
season hmm. 45. It's about when it started, it was kids uh, probably 20, 22. Now they're all probably 40, 42. <laughs> Um, it's really not been on that long, but it seems like, why do they still have high school problems? It was embarrassing that they were 22 and they were having high school problems. Like who said what to whom about whoever. Um, now that they're 42, it's just sad. It's a terrible show. Yeah. There's no Vanderpump rules. <laughs> but then what is? <laughs> True. <clears throat> anything else um i don't think so i've not been watching much this week as we speak i'm scrolling through my shutter app on my phone going is there something else you, i watched i'm forgetting you've not watched house yet or no we we set out to watch house and uh i don't know gene got into watching essex so <laughs> it wouldn't have been my choice but no, no, it wouldn't be my choice either, but thankfully they're not Turkish, so there's mm. only maybe 10 episodes. I grew up not far from Essex. Yeah. So. Uh, it seems like quite the place. <laughs> it was, it was, I don't know what the equivalent would be here, but it was famous for like boy races and people who have like uh, cars with stripes down the side and fluffy dice in the windows. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's just kind of an upscale shopping district, it looks like, okay. on the show. All these rich people, rich, I mean, they don't actually have a lot of money, but they have a lot of debt, I'm sure. Yeah, that sounds like rich people. <laughs> uh, anyway, all their, all these people on the show have their little specialty shop or restaurant or something nobody's ever in there you don't know you know they're just going further into debt to fund their stupid shop anyway i don't think i watched anything else julian how about you uh yeah i'm terrace and the crypt is still on hold until i get the script to me so i watched a bunch of stuff uh okay uh the darkness 2016 not seen it uh, got Kevin Bacon in it. Okay. David Masseuse, who plays Bruce Wayne in Gotham. He's playing an autistic kid again. He, he seemed to specialize at that when he was 12 years old or whatever he is. Man, <clears throat> glad he broke that typecast. But he, he, um, although Baby Batman's on the spectrum, <laughs> we shouldn't speculate. So, uh, it, it's got, um, suburban family and they're on vacation in the canyons and uh, uh, the kid finds these stones from an Anasazi tomb. Nice. And, uh, yep, yep. So you know what happens when white people stumble on Indian yeah. burial, burial grounds. We all know what happened to Greg Brady in Hawaii. Yep. Um, yeah, it's one of those movies that gives a bad name to PG horror, really. It's very uh. predictable and pretty safe. Uh, and and it also does that thing of showing clips of movies you'd rather be watching. Oh, damn. What movies, if you remember? Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think Gamera was in it at one point. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Cabinet of Gamera. In place of making your movie a better movie, just show bits of better movies in your movie. I want to see a very German expressionist Gamera movie. Wow. <laughs> Cabinet of Gamera. <laughs> Gamera sleepwalks at night. Mm. Or flies. Sleep, sleep fly. flies. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I saw it's an animated French film called uh, Long Way North. Not heard of it. Uh, that was from last year as well. It's it's like um, it, it's all areas of paint. There's hardly any lines. Really minimal use of lines. So it's all areas of color. Ooh. Uh, yeah, really nicely done. And the story is quite serious. It's on. It's, it's about a girl who goes on an adventure. But what she does is she she's trying to find her grandfather, who's left St. Petersburg and gone up to the Arctic, mm-hmm. and his ship has become lost, and uh, people have given up on him, but she she runs away and and uh it, it's uh yeah she it, it's really interesting uh how the characters change and and it's it gets pretty harsh you know it's surprisingly serious there's no singing chipmunks or anything that's well then what good is it yeah <laughs> uh yeah very nice uh la ronde 1950 max o classic movie with anton walbrook as this game master uh, and there's like a, a whole bunch of stories but each one there's like a couple who hooks up and it's usually a, a all the guys in it are pretty awful mm-hmm. but they hook up with prostitutes or housemaids or actresses and then one of the people from the hooking up hooks up with somebody else and that's the next story and it, and it okay. goes in a circuit but it's got uh, Simone Signore and uh, Simone Simone from Cat People in it. Oh, okay. Um, uh, Ghostbusters 2016. Yeah. What's the verdict? <laughs> Have you seen that one? No. I've not. Uh, yes, verdict, please. Well, I'm not a fan of the original, are you? Um, I'm okay with it. I haven't rewatched it in um, years. I, I watched it once and I enjoyed the special effects. I didn't laugh at all. Maybe oh. it's just not my uh. kind of humor, but... I think a lot of that had to do with the comedians who were playing the roles were already established, so okay. they could pretty much do anything and get a laugh. <laughs> yeah, they, they all do cameos, all the, all the surviving ones. I mean, even Harold Ramis has a kind of cameo in it. Oh, wow. But yeah, all the, He doesn't all the... do a lot of talking. No. Or moving. <laughs> He's this bust that you see in the corner. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, Chris Hemsworth is funny. He, he's playing this bimbo. Uh-huh. Uh, I heard he's, he's a membo. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so yes. uh, yeah, he's pretty funny. He's got good timing. Ozzy Osbourne turns up at one point. He's funny. Oh, good. Just does it. He has one line or something. And you can't understand it, so. <laughs> That's why they have subtitles. Yeah. Uh, Road to Perdition, t- 2002. I read the comic, but I didn't. Sam Mendes, yeah. So it's a film based on a comic based on the Lone Wolf and Cub series. Oh, hmm. okay. We're about and so this one's about it's like 1931 and Tom Hanks is this uh, hitman for the Irish mob and mm-hmm. and ends up with his kid, you know, going on the road and taking yeah. revenge on the rivals. That's so funny. I know I saw it and I don't remember anything uh, of it. Paul Newman is the head of the family. That's pretty much how I feel about it. Yeah, uh, Daniel Craig. I read in the it. comic and I don't <laughs> remember much about it. Tom Hanks had a great. Like long coat and a really cool hat. Yeah, it's, it's really nice. I remember film. Tom Hanks's hat. <laughs> yeah, I it's think uh, the hat won the Oscar. The photographer was Conrad Hall. I think mm. he got the Oscar for that. It's uh, yeah, very nice looking. 
The Raven, 2012. Oh. John Cusack as Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, man. I've okay. been wanting to see this. I forgot about so what this happens? gem. Uh, Luke Evans is this detective. So there's these murders start occurring, and they're based on his the Poe stories. Mm-hmm. So starting with Murders in the Rue Morgue. Oh, wow. And they do a gory recreation of the Pit and the Pendulum. Uh, so uh, it sounds so bad. Yeah, it is stupid. I just <laughs> I remember seeing the trailers for it, and yeah. it just looked like the dumbest thing. It, it's stupid. There's there's so many talented people involved in it, but it's like uh, you have John Cusack, right? He he pronounces key as quay. Does anyone say that? Uh, is that an American regional thing? For, is that a Baltimore for, thing? Maybe. Well, for for a uh, like a key that goes in a lock. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, no. Uh, uh, you know, uh, the thing that goes out into a harbor. Oh. oh. I don't know. I'm Q-U-A-Y. I don't think I even know that word. It's a, it's a key. It's it would be yeah, a but, but he says quay. Dock or a pier or what have yeah. you. But is he trying to be English? No, he's playing, you know, Edgar Allan Poe. Good old Virginian Edgar Allan Poe. And then there's... Um, uh, oh, he plays Poe. Yeah. Oh, okay. So there's there's another point where or another murder is recreated, and he says what the story is. And he says it's the facts in the case of M. Valdemar. Mm-hmm. But it's not... It, I mean, it's written as an M, but it's Monsieur. Yeah. I mean, no one says M. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just like... So we, we were it just It would like, be like saying M.R. Valdemar. Right. It was Mr. Right. Valdemar. Right, right, right. Uh, mm. And the killer somehow, there's like one killer, but they make this massive pendulum. And it, this, and it's got a huge like mechanism for it. And you just couldn't lift that, let alone like carry it up to this high ceiling and put it in place. It's ridiculous. And and he also, his hideout is, I, I, I don't want to give it away, but it's directly beneath where all the characters, a whole bunch of the characters spend their time and they work all night. Hmm. But somehow no one knows that there's this... Killer. That, yeah, there's this, like, he's got this lair yeah. right under the floor. <laughs> it looked really bad. Yeah, and it, and it's also, it's like, um, they're just getting over it, but there was that period in, in this, you know, this century where the colour timing made everything either blue or orange. Uh-huh. So, it, yeah, everything's <laughs> At least they went with contrast and complementary colors. Yeah. <laughs> Give them that. And then the last movie I watched was uh, Rocky Balboa, 2006. Sylvester Stallone. I've not seen that. And... Where he's like... Uh... Is that Rocky? <laughs> oh, and I've watched all Six. the Rocky movies. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's like in his 50s at this point. And, uh, and then there's there's this uh, show on TV where they, they, they feed into a computer information about diff- uh, fighters from different eras so there's this hotshot guy that no one likes because he there's no one who can face him and he just takes people out in the first few seconds mm-hmm. so the audience <clears throat> hates him because yeah you know it's too over it's so quick and especially then, the people buying really expensive tickets right right because that that was the problem with mike tyson back in the day oh he has a cameo as well yeah he would come stalking out into the ring mm-hmm. clobber somebody Walk over to his yeah. corner. And <laughs> fight was over in twenty five right. seconds, and there yeah. were a lot of angry people who spent a lot of money. Yeah, sitting ringside. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but yeah, I enjoy those films. They're kind of sentimental. Yeah, dramas. They're, they're, you know, 
How about if Rocky sold his soul to the devil and you could have Rocky 666? Wouldn't that be great? Hey, uh, my muscles is back. Hey, I haven't felt this good in years. It's all going to backfire by the end of the movie, though, if we know how things with Satan go. But the, Yeah, the, the other thing I saw was um, uh, one of Emily's friends works for some kind of public service, but she got cheap tickets to the ballet. I'd never been to a ballet before, and they no. had this like masterwork show with it, like, uh, like um, segments of three different classics, you know, including like the Firebird with all the the greatest hits, kind of mo- monsters and things. <laughs> yeah, monsters. ballet yeah. clip show. So uh, yeah, that was that was great. I, I enjoyed that. How have you never been to a ballet? Well, they cost like two hundred bucks to see those things, the, the full productions. Haven't you ever been to like a I don't know, a college level production of something? Yeah. No? Nutcracker? Never been to the. No. Oh. Yeah, that's all I've seen was college production of Nutcracker. <laughs> I think that's about it for me, yeah, this, too. This was really good. It was really inventive. Like the, the middle one is this. Um, they, they had these, like, uh, the, the women first come on and they've got these, like, stiff evening dresses with, like, uh-huh. huge skirts. And they, like, so they're just gliding around. You can see where. Uh, uh, they got the inspiration for the Daleks from watching ballet. Yeah. They, they did. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, Terry Nation. Yeah, when you're watching the ballet and they're, they're just gliding smoothly across the stage and you and you, want, you know, the, the gears started clicking. Um, but yeah, yeah. So they, they like glide around in these and then they just step back from them somehow and then, then they're in these like corsets things. Oh. Yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty uh, inventive. That's nice. pretty cool. The other thing every British schoolboy knows, <clears throat> or maybe back in my day they did, but uh, uh, the uh, I think it was Doug, it wasn't Douglas Bader, but the, do you know the Dam Busters? Uh, no. The movie? Yeah, I know. But the the actual incident in the war. Oh yeah, yeah. They didn't. They had to work out how to drop the bouncing bombs at a certain point as they came in over the reservoir, mm-hmm. and uh, they couldn't figure it out because you know they didn't have any anywhere near the technology we have now yeah so uh he, he went to see a, a ballet and uh in the, in the ballet this these two spotlights come across and then when they uh, when the spots cover each other uh-huh. then the character appears so he he realized that by using these two lights he could gauge the uh, height they were at and the speed they were going and then when the lights meet that's when they dropped the. Oh um, wow! Yeah, that's crazy. Nice. <laughs> anyway, that's that's what that, I saw. That's awesome. Though. <laughs> I always wonder, like, how did anyone do anything back before all this great technology? Oh yes, yeah, that's an amazing story. I think Peter Jackson wanted to do another version of it, but there's just so much controversy involved in that story. Yeah. And also, it it didn't end well, so it's not going to get the funding from America, which is essential. Yeah, that's always a thing, isn't it? Huh. Well, did you see anything else? Was that the... Uh, yeah, apart from the movie for this week. Oh, okay. Um, I saw a couple of good ones. Um, you remember I was on, on the uh, the Jess Franco kick. Oh, yeah. I was watching a few of his movies. I watched She Killed in Ecstasy, oh. which was another uh, Soledad Miranda mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Um, 1971, I think mm-hmm. it was. And uh, it was kind of weird. It wasn't really a horror movie, although I found it on Shudder. Um, it was more of a 
revenge murder kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There was sort of a implication of something supernatural that might be going on, but I think it was all in her head. Uh, but she looks great, and the killings are fun, and you know, <laughs> it's it's totally worth watching if you don't if you're not completely freaked out and turned off by 1970s stuff. <laughs> I used to have a real, like I told you guys this before, I used to have like a real prejudice against the 70s. Really? Yeah, like the movies of the 70s that weren't the really good ones, you know, like, oh, The Godfather, Godfather 2, Exorcist, you know, Jaws. There were a handful of them that's like, yeah, those look great. And the color and, I don't know, it just seemed like there was something weird going on. Everything looked kind of shaky and muted muted and yeah it was like man i don't know what it was but a lot of that stuff i just was like bleh i don't like the 70s (laughs) and then the 80s everything was really flashy and new but then after a few years that started to look ridiculous oh man it looks bad now yeah the 80s yeah yeah i've aged worse than the 70s yeah that's the thing is like you you don't know how good you got it until (laughs) until you move on to the next thing and look back just look um Graphic design in the 80s, just... Oh, my. Wow, it is some terrible-looking work. I just throw some zebra stripes and some triangles. Zebra stripes, triangles. Drop shadows off of those triangles. Pastels. A black marble-looking surface with triangles on it, and then some letters that have that shadow on the side. Yeah. So they appear to be hovering a bit. Yeah, nowadays it's papyrus typeface oh yeah <laughs> just like oh put that way yeah if you if you really want to see that stuff taken to task go to your logo makes me barf.com <laughs> and like the cardinal sins in font choices are brush script um papyrus and comic sans yep yep and they actually found a logo it was like the the trifecta or the holy trinity or whatever <laughs> they called it but somebody had used all three fonts and yeah. their same logo right wow good um, job and you know how it's been a trend for a few years and hasn't gone away yet, but the the reaching stick person, you know what I'm talking about? Uh-uh. There's, no. a, there's always like a like a kind of pointy stick man, and they're always like reaching or flailing somehow. No, it's all new to me. Oh well, you should look this up. There's a, there's a lot of stick people <laughs> uh, uh, logos, but uh, anyway. It's, What's uh, he reaching for? Well, the your chi- logo. Well, the your... well, the children's hospital has the one where the the little stick person has balloons, and that's understandable. That's children's hospital, but there are a lot of them. Um, there's a there's an apartment complex or retirement community or something not far from here, and they've got the pointy stick person, but then there's like a weird shadow, so it looks like. They're implying that they're falling down, <laughs> but I think they're supposed to be popping up. That sounds like the logo for the saint. <laughs> That's right, the saint. Uh, not Puffy Val Kilmer saint, but the no. TV show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so she killed in ecstasy, 1971. Definitely look look at that one if you enjoyed the early 70s and um, foreign movies, especially. And then I watched a. Um, 2010 German movie called We Are the Night. And this is a vampire movie that I didn't know anything about. And I was uh, compiling a, a new uh, watch queue in uh, Shudder. And this one looked cool. 
So I added it and decided to start watching it. It's really cool. It, it, the part of it seems like it's almost borrowed from uh, oh, the, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Because mm-hmm. there's like this badass punk rock girl who is kind of running from some situation. And she does a really good job escaping uh, getting arrested. And it's this great chase sequence that starts the movie. And uh, she crosses paths with these women vampires who they're living a, a pretty uh, high class life with uh, all the amenities because, well, they can. Yeah. If someone stops them with their stolen car, it doesn't matter. There's nothing you can really do to them unless you can make the sun rise. So they can pretty much get out of any situation just by being vampires that they are. So um, without spoiling anything, uh, she does end up... Uh, you know, lives intertwined with them. And it's a group of three women, if I remember right. And she sort of is the fourth one. It's a lot of fun. It's really cool. And it looks great. You know, the special effects look really cool. And it's like, I looked on IMDb just earlier when we were getting started and it gets like a 6.3 as far as like user reviews. I would give it a solid eight, mm. 8.3. Okay. I'll, I'll so for that. yeah, we are the night 2010 um, German movie. And I watched it with subtitles because I don't mind subtitles. Sure. No. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and I rewatched Frankenstein because I'll be talking about Mary Shelley. Oh, okay. And read Which the book. Which one? Uh, the year 1931. 1931. Yeah. I, you know, I kind of felt like I don't really care who got it closer to the book because I've read the book and I brushed up on that a bit. And the movie. 1931, Boris Karloff starring. Um, it has nothing to do with the book, really. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like bits of it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, just like inspired by. Yeah. But uh, anyway. Um, so how, how do you feel about like uh, adapting books? I, I don't feel that they have to be faithful to be a good movie. They don't. Oh, uh, certainly not. I mean, if you if you take the essence of the thing, if you take uh, the, the whole vibe, the whole feel of it, I think that, you know... That's good enough. Yeah. Uh, if you take it and run with it and make your own thing out of it, that's cool. Yeah, as, as someone says, like, uh, like my book is still on the shelf. Right. Yeah. You want the authentic experience and yeah. re- read the book. Yeah the, yeah. the movie doesn't ruin the book. The book is still there. You know, a remake yeah. of The Thing doesn't ruin The Thing. Yeah. And I mean... John Carpenter's The Thing or The Thing from Another World. <laughs> you know, one doesn't ruin the previous one for you. It's just a, another take on it. So mm. who cares? Um, do you want me to you want me to start out talking about sure. Yeah, Mary which Shelley? you want. Oh. Okay. So, um, but before I do, um, I had this funny idea earlier today, and I don't want to forget to say this. Uh, did you guys get that weird religious book dropped in your mailbox this week? I saw it. Weirdly, three times last week. Yeah, the, the... I saw it three times last week too. <sighs> oh, did your phone ring? <laughs> <laughs> I got a call last week, and it it wasn't. They didn't give the name of that book, but they said it was the Hurricane Bible. Yeah, is that it? I think it was the Hurricane Press or something. I tried to find. Oh, I'm I'm looking at it, going, oh, is this from like Watchtower Publications? What mm. is this? It has a really bad chess pieces on the cover, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it just looks. I don't know. Um, so here's my idea. Tell me what you think of this. Um, 
whatever it has inside it, I don't care. It's not, I'm not going to read it and it's not going to sway me. I want to just um, take it to a neighboring business who has a paper cutter and have them chop the spine and just take the loose pages and make a paper mache devil out of it. <laughs> Why? <laughs> just for the sake just, of irony. Just because. I don't know. <laughs> I, think, I think you'd have to read the book to make sure that's ironic enough. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> maybe. I'm sure you're you're on, but it'd be terrible if it actually endorsed the devil. Oh, man. <laughs> So, well, I would want it to either be really ironic or really apropos. So I guess it would work either way. I don't need to know which one it is. Yeah. I just want to make a cool looking paper mache devil. Should it be a marionette, a puppet, or should it be like a big Mardi Gras oversized head? What should it be? Uh, I think a big Mardi Gras head would be good. I think that would be good. Or a giant marionette. Yeah. Something that takes like several people to control it. Yeah. Can you really control it, though? No. It's Satan. You think you're controlling it. I saw um, uh, the Jack Reacher sequel recently, and it's and it it set in like Halloween in New Orleans. Oh, nice. And it has this like, great like Lugosi-style Dracula flow in it. Oh, man. Yeah. It's kind of... I want to see that. It is cool. So you've both read Mary Shelley's yeah. Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. I put it off for years because it, it, uh, I thought it'd be long and boring, but it wasn't. It's a short read. Yeah, it's uh, pretty exciting yeah. stuff. So um, I know you mentioned it before on the show. There was a big volcanic explosion that uh, blotted out the sun and caused a very cold, rainy summer in uh, oh, yeah, Lake yeah, Geneva. yeah. yeah. I was thinking you were, you were talking about the uh, gas works today. <laughs> oh, no, but that's that's a cool story, too. Uh, so the, this group of uh, of English, um, what do they call themselves, the New Romantics or something like that? Or, <laughs> <laughs> that's Duran Duran. <laughs> no, it was. Uh, and then you got the whole tie-in with uh, Mad, Bad, and Dangerous to Know, uh, Lord Byron. Yes, yeah, so you've got Dr. Uh, Polidori, who writes the right. first vampire novel. Right. Byron. Right. Who's a model for... Who inspired... Uh, uh, oh, what's, what's his name with... Uh, you Spin Me Round. What was that? Uh, Dead or Alive. Because <laughs> their album was called Mad, Bad, and Dangerous to Know. Which was uh, Lord Byron's description of himself or his group. Okay. Uh, but they were they were just a bunch of... A uh, bunch of cads, weren't they? <laughs> cads with money. Yes. <laughs> Swanning around Europe. Uh, have you ever been to um, that border between uh, Switzerland no. and France? I, I understand that a lot of English people like to go there. Yeah. None of them invited Jolene. No, I've, I've, I've not really <laughs> been. I've been through Switzerland and had a stop over, but yeah, yeah, not really seen. I'm not not been to Geneva. It's it sounds idyllic. It sounds like a beautiful yeah. place to go hang out, and I can imagine that these these uh, wealthy English people were like. Yeah, let's go there. And they brought um, laudanum with them, and mm-hmm. probably uh, they probably could get their wine locally, but uh, they were just going to. Well, opium is everywhere. Yeah. It's laudanum, for anyone who doesn't know, listening to this, uh, it's a liquid form of opium. Yeah. And you could just. Mixed with alcohol. Is that what you do with it? Yeah. Yeah. They, they had what they call tinctures. Oh. Where you put a little bit of what you fancy in your drink. Yeah. Just a couple drops. Good yeah, to go. Yeah. So it's 
tons of people who just became Lord nomadics. So you get a hangover and uh, withdrawals. Yeah, they give it to kids for toothache. And... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Different times. Mm-hmm. So these... Uh... Better living through chemistry. <laughs> so these English people... Uh... I think we should bring it back. We certainly could all use some laudanum these days. <laughs> I, use I was right wondering uh, if the, uh, to totally derail the topic. Go ahead. Uh, I was wondering if liquor sales had not gone up since the election and if there wasn't a way to check that. I bet there is. Um, Licorice sale? Liquor. Oh, liquor sales, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so here, here's the thing about liquor sales. Uh, when I worked at the art store, there was uh, one of the... Um, one of the distributors used to come in there and buy their markers because they would make their signage for sales and whatever. And uh, he basically, uh, I, I brought it up in conversation somehow, but he basically answered my question about things like that by saying, well, when times are good, people drink. And when times are bad, people drink. <laughs> so basically, I wonder if, it, mm. if they're drinking more. I don't know. Just a thought. <laughs> yeah. Just a thought. I would think it's very likely that booze sales have gone up. Um, uh, the uh, the gr- the group of um, English uh, they, would you call them nobles or what were they, what, they were sort of pseudo royals of some yeah, sort gentry gentry. There's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> the gentry poshos. <laughs> <laughs> the, the posh posse the posh so the the posh show up and they've got their laudanum and they and i'm thinking they probably get their wine locally right you know they don't, probably don't need to bring cases of wine with them you're right next to france and italy yeah yeah to give you an idea In germany of lord byron what he was up to uh, he shows up with an entourage, but he travels in a replica of Napoleon's coach. That's how he rolls into town. That's, <laughs> so, that's a pimp mobile of the right. day, you know. Yeah, so that's pretty much like, I don't know if you would compare that to like a car that's got the hydraulics and it's jumping and yeah, and he's bumping the tunes and yeah, like the chandeliers on the bonnet, like in <laughs> Escape New York. Right. So he's got that going on. Um, Basically, uh, let's see, he, oh, he earned the moniker Mad, Bad, and Dangerous to Know thanks to his debauched behavior and operatic romances with men and women, including his half-sister, Augusta. So he was fleeing England in wake of a messy divorce. Yeah. Or messy separation. So this is, this is who this cat is. So <laughs> here's some friends of his that show up to hang with him. Yeah. And I'm thinking, every time you see this old painting of Mary Shelley, I'm thinking, like, oh, she looks like a frumpy old so-and-so, you know, whatever. I wouldn't want to hang out with her. How boring is this book going to be, you know? And mm-hmm. It's flowery as I'll get out. Yeah. And I have some, some great um, stuff the monster says that uh, not the same as Karloff's. Delivery. Oh, no, no. No, no not at all. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, oh, yeah, I'll, didn't want to stop at the uh, Napoleon's coach. Brought a peacock, a monkey, and a dog. <laughs> so there you are, sipping your tinctures of opium uh, and, and hanging out with your pet monkey and peacocks walking around. <laughs> uh, 
so they're hanging out, and then of course, like we, you know, we had discussed previously, the sun gets blotted out. They're hanging out in in their digs, two different locations, I think. Like every, the people who don't have Lord Byron's money are hanging out somewhere else, but he's got his better yeah his main crew yeah it's got his better hang going on over there and they're all writing they're mm-hmm. all kind of having a who can who can write the coolest thing kind of contest yeah. it seems they were reading like some german folk tales or something weren't they yeah i believe so and they were telling scary stories mm-hmm. basically to one another yeah <clears throat> so it's a lot cooler than it you know, on the surface of it, like you get this notion of, oh, things were boring back then and shit was not interesting. And, oh, this woman looks frumpy in this painting. And <laughs> you start reading a little deeper into who they were and what they were up to. So she was about 17, 18. At the she time. was 18. 18. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> so at that age, I mean, obviously back then people with some money could get a good education. And by the time you're 18, you know, lots of stuff and. You can write flowery prose, and even the monster can't grunt. He has to speak in complete sentences. But uh, what came out of this was, um, like you said, the first vampire novel. Uh, we get uh, we get the the story of a reanimated corpse terrorizing its creator. That's pretty cool. I mean, you think about that. People don't come up with anything that original now. Mm-hmm. They just ripped that story off. Right. It's as good as it gets now. Yeah. So that, that was pretty cool. Um, but uh, I don't know. Uh, this the, the whole entanglement of all these people uh, in their late teens and early 20s and their what they were getting up to, um, it was just, it's an interesting setting for what came out of it, I thought. Uh, apparently, this, this whole area has one of the best train systems in the world. So if you ever want to go visit, I guess you fly into Zurich and the train takes you straight to Lake Geneva and anywhere you want to go around the whole perimeter of the lake, you can get there in a matter of, you know, less than an hour by train. And they run consistently and it's it's beautiful and like I said, this idyllic looking place unless some damn volcano goes off and ruins it. God, so, we don't have anything like that here. Yeah, it was Mount Tambora in Indonesia. So it was a very powerful eruption. And uh, it says here that uh, the whole northern hemisphere had troubles with the ash changing the weather. So, yeah. Yeah, interesting stuff. Perpe- almost perpetual rain and mm-hmm. way colder than normal temperatures for summer. So that was what they... <laughs> Cold. Imagine if they'd been nice weather. <laughs> we would have gotten some lame <laughs> stories out of them. No. Um, now we talked. Could have had like the three greatest romances <laughs> ever written. The three greatest boring romances of, of people with frilly clothes, and they stick their pinkies out when they drink. Well, they, they wouldn't have been stuck indoors. They would have gone out and had some fun. We wouldn't have got anything out of it. Yeah, that's possible. <clears throat> that would have been like what water skiing. Yeah, you know, things like that. Um, so uh, people were excited about electricity at this point in time, mm. and we talked about several episodes ago about uh, I think one of the first ones. Yeah, galvanic uh, reactions mm-hmm. with dead bodies. Yeah. So they were shocking dead bodies and watching them twitch. Yes. 
this was a big part of the inspiration. Um, the funny thing about the book, and this is fun revisiting it, to, to really look for anything specific, Mary Shelley didn't try and fake it. She's like, I collected all of my chemical instruments and packed them up. It's like, oh, really? You don't even say beaker or flask or anything. You just say chemical instruments. <laughs> Bye-bye now. Uh, and uh, not a whole lot of talk about how the electricity would have been applied. So um, I found that kind of interesting. Um, the word countenance is used about 10,000 times. So if you ever wanted to make a drinking game for a book... Uh, don't don't pick countenance. No. If you're going to use Frankenstein, don't pick countenance. You're going to be, like, poisoned with the amount of alcohol you'd consume. Wow. Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah. It's... <laughs> It's, yeah, countenance, the drinking game. It's serious. So, uh, anyway, um, the monster, um, the description was really um, cool. I mean, it, 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 the monster sounded like gigantic and scary. It sounded like Boris Karloff with, um, well, if you picture the Boris Karloff monster, uh, him only about a foot and a half taller. Yeah. And uh, I think the the Bernie Wrightson depiction is pretty close to the novel. Yeah, you got the kind of sinew showing through, right. the stretched, yellowy skin, uh, thin black lips. It, it sounds like like a really scary looking dude. So at least the description gives you, especially in those days uh, when people were probably more easily scared by things, uh, gives you a really terrifying image. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to run into somebody who looked like that now. Right. So that, that was pretty effective, I thought. Uh, and let's see. <clears throat> I do like the fact that uh, from the point of view of, of Dr. Frankenstein, um, no, not even a doctor, right? No. That's just the movie. He's a student. Yeah, yeah, yeah student, he's a student. M. Frankenstein. M.R. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Frankenstein. Yes. M.R. period Frankenstein. Um, let's see. Let me read this part here from chapter five. I beheld the wretch, the miserable monster whom I had created. He held up the curtain of the bed. His eyes, if eyes they could be called, were fixed on me. His jaws opened and he muttered some inarticulate sounds. When a, when a grin wrinkled his cheeks, he might have spoken, but I did not hear. One hand was stretched out, seemingly to detain me, but I escaped and rushed down the stairs. And uh, it goes on to say... Uh, catching and fearing each sound as if it were to announce the approach of the demonical corpse, which I had so miserably given life. So this is really not cool. Not one countenance. <laughs> not, in that, not in that part. I, I was I, waiting for yeah, it. Yeah, he had the drink in his hand already. <laughs> yeah. So, so you get this, like, uh, this description of this perilous situation, which, again, in its day would have been terrifying. Yeah. You know, now it's just like... It's, yeah. What day isn't aren't you attacked by some monster, some <laughs> thin black lipped monster on the street right. or in your home with or its, business? With its yellowy skin stretched tight over the sinews and Uh huh. Yeah. I never mind its countenance. <laughs> yeah. The countenance, well that's yeah, that takes a backseat to all the thin black lips and twitching. Um the description that, that Frankenstein gives uh, often includes wretch or demon. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, it's like, dude. By the way, you created this thing. Well, yeah, that's the, that's the thing, isn't it? He's 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 responsible. Yeah, mm-hmm. he kind of goes nuts from the responsibility. He's driven yeah. completely insane. Um, I had completely. And then he drives the monster to be murderous. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the monster uh, hides out in like a essentially a woodshed or a pile of brush or something, and observes a family, and this yeah. is how he learns to speak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, he doesn't just learn to speak. Um, Julian, you might want to read this part here. <laughs> It'll sound better coming out of your mouth. This part, this part that I made the note that said, oh, eloquent and verbose monster. <laughs> right there. This, the whole part circle in red. <clears throat> he easily eluded me and said, be calm. I entreat you to hear me before you give vent to your hatred on my devoted head. Have I not suffered enough that you seek to increase my misery? Life although it may only be an accumulation of anguishes dear to me, and I will defend it. Remember, thou hast made me more powerful than thyself. My height is superior to thine, my joints more supple. But I will not be tempted to set myself in opposition to me, to thee. <laughs> I am thy creature, and I will be even mild and docile to my natural lord and king, if thou wilt also perform thy part, the which thou owest me. O Frankenstein, be not equitable to every other, but and trample upon me alone, to whom thy justice and even thy clemency and affection is most due. Remember that I am thy creature. I ought to be thy Adam, but I am rather the fallen angel whom thou drivest from joy for no misdeed. Everywhere I see bliss, for which I alone am irrevocably excluded. I was benevolent and good. Misery made me a fiend. Make me happy, and I shall again be virtuous. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Didn't he have like a? He had some. He had like some throat ailment at the time, and he couldn't do speech oh, in the first that movie. What the Karloff. Karloff. Yeah. Oh, I don't remember that. He had some something something wrong, so he he couldn't. He he didn't want to do the speaking until the second movie. Ah. Oh. I can't remember. And even then, it was, it was nowhere near this. No, no. <laughs> it was like, fire good. Fire good. <laughs> Wine good. Smoke. Mm. <laughs> you hear that a lot in Denver. Smoke. <laughs> so, yeah. I, it, it was the thing about this is um, it, was, it was probably not Mary Shelley, but her husband who edited or or suggested editing to make it more flowery sounding because uh, i think if and i do have the notes on it here somewhere that let's see if i can find that uh, here we go um let's see the novel was published in march 1818 uh let's see in 1831 mary revised frankenstein for colburn and bentley's standard novel series by then, her philosophical convictions had radically changed. Uh, personal tragedies, blah, blah, blah. That's not the part. Uh, let's see. Oh, here we go. Uh, before publishing the manuscript, Mary gave it to her husband to edit. He made numerous revisions and is largely, he is largely responsible for changing her simple Anglo-Saxon style into more Latinate ornate wording. Latinate? I, did, I don't even... I Latinate? <laughs> lactate um latinate lat- latinate latinate hmm yeah not a word that's in my vocabulary till just mm-hmm. now 
anyway, more ornate wording as the handwritten additions to the manuscript show. Um, so certain alliterations by Shelley serve to make the creature less human. Um, for example, name, names it an abortion and to, soft, to soften Victor Frankenstein's errors. So it was changed from the original. So it'd be interesting, but I don't think the original text survives. You know, uh, over that many years, it wouldn't be a surprise if it didn't. And I think a lot of times when people would supposedly improve something, they would probably want to do away with the old stuff. Um, it's still a good read. I mean, I, oh, yeah. I enjoyed, like, it. it's a very sweeping tale. It goes mm -hmm. all over the place. Yeah, it yeah. travels all the way across Europe. Yeah. Right up to the north of Scotland. Yeah, when, you know, when you make, when an English uh, teacher makes you read something, or if you read something because you feel like you should and it's difficult to get through it, you maybe don't appreciate it as much as if you revisit it years later, which I did, and mm. I liked it a lot better. Yeah, and it gets really gruesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the monster's up to some really crazy shit. And then Hen or, um, Victor, rather, um, getting arrested in Ireland. Mm -hmm. and he was totally set up by the monster. So the <laughs> monster's going around doing yeah. murders and pinning him on him. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah, it gets more and more tragic. And then there's the, the bit where he uh, he's like working on the bride. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It gets extremely gory. Yeah. yeah. He finally decides to just chop up the <laughs> the unfinished experiment and dump it in the lake. <laughs> anyway, um, the movie very little in common. I mean, so little in common that it's not even the same story. And I do have um, notes on how that came about. And it was basically, uh, well, without going into it. Um, Go into it. Okay. <laughs> you printed all that stuff up. Yeah. Go into it. Yeah, I guess I did. That'll be in this one. Okay. So um, Peggy Webling from Westminster, England, wrote her adaptation of Frankenstein um, at the request of actor-producer Hamilton Dean, who had recent success with a stage had recent success in a stage adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula. So her play basically um, was a deviation from the book. Yeah. And then when Universal Pictures bought the film rights, um, it got changed even more. Uh, so it was um, it was the American adaptation of Webling's play by John L. Balderson who had similarly adapted Dean's Dracula for a New York stage. So, um, some people got paid some money. And then the story got changed from having been changed and resembled the book not yeah, at they, all. They changed, a whole bunch of writers, weren't they? They changed it early on for, the, for a stage play, like mm -hmm. 1830. Yeah, let's see. Um, I don't have that, but... In any event, uh, the play the playwrights got paid money, yeah. and we're happy for that. And did you ever see Thomas Edison's Frankenstein? Yeah, I watched that uh, about a year or two ago. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's very interesting. That was missing for a long time, if I remember right. Yes, I didn't think I'd ever see that. Yeah, because they had like one still yeah. from it. Yeah, of it was... the monster. Yeah, and and now they what is it like a. 10 or 15 minute thing? 10. 10 minutes, I think. I saw they found a couple more stills from 
London at to midnight. Yeah, supposedly they found more, and of course that rumor's still going around. Yeah, someone's gonna, somebody has it. It's gonna play this year at such and such mm. festival. I saw the teaser headline to that story. Yeah, they were like, have they found London after midnight? Right. It's like, no, <laughs> they didn't. I didn't even read the story because I knew they were bullshitting me. Yeah, they just found a, a couple more. Yeah, frames clipped from the. Yeah, film. yeah. So that's pretty much all I've got on Frankenstein. Um, uh, a great work of uh, fiction that was turned into a completely different great work of uh, film fiction. And yeah. uh, I, I would recommend our readers uh, or our listeners read the book and, you know, yeah. and uh, watch the movie over um, again if you definitely. haven't. Definitely. I mean, you, you think that I'm not just its influence on the horror genre, but, um, you know, the whole attitude to science, you know, whenever something disturbing comes up it's a frankenstein whatever yes right and yeah it's part of the language yeah part of our culture it's a huge influence absolutely so uh will what did you have what was your what was your uh woman in horror author that you wanted to talk about i will i actually picked a movie that had a woman director and a, f a woman writer oh what was it Jennifer's Body. Oh, how was it? How is it? <laughs> it's. I actually enjoy it, but it is flawed. Okay. It's got some clunky pieces that don't quite work. Yeah. Um. I don't know. It feels very two thousand nine in a yes. lot of ways. <laughs> well, I think it's a problem. Two thousand nine. <laughs> it's got a lot of you know late aughts yeah. uh uh i don't remember any blue and orange lighting but um i don't know what's the basic storyline uh have you seen ginger snaps yeah it's basically the same movie oh okay i'm not kidding they are like really really close <laughs> like total mirror images <laughs> yeah kind of, i don't remember ginger snaps came out but I want to say. I want to say it was, oh two or oh three maybe. Oh, I thought it was earlier than that. Oh, what's but anyway, uh, it was uh, directed by Catherine Bigelow. Sus no, uh, no Karen, um, something. I wrote it down actually. Yeah. Kasuma. Okay, Ginger Snaps came out in two thousand. Oh, okay. Um, Ginger Snaps 2 Unleashed came out in 2004. So I probably... Uh... Maybe you never saw the original. No, I did. I know I did. <laughs> well, I don't have it. But Diablo Cody wrote the script. Oh, really? Yeah, and it did, did floated have... around for a year or two. It was like the hot, unmade script for a couple of years. Huh. That. Let's see. 2009. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's see. Who was in this thing? We got Megan Fox. Yep. Amanda Seyfried. Adam Brody. Johnny Simmons. So it was written by Diablo Cody and directed by Karen Kusama. Okay. Yep. Interesting. Well, the user reviews give it a seven. So that's. Oh, I thought it was lower than that. I thought it was a six on 
IMDb when I looked. Oh. 6.1 or something. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's probably a fair score. So did you feel did you feel optimistic going into it? I'd seen it before. Oh, okay. Um Yeah, I had hoped it it'd be a little, I don't know. What's funnier? What's the title even mean? Uh basically it starts with this girl in uh a mental hospital and you don't quite know what she's she's crazy. Uh-huh. And it cuts back to her life in high school and her best friend, who's like the hot girl in school, head cheerleader uh-huh. kind of thing, wild girl. Uh, they go to a concert for a band called Low Shoulder. <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure what that means. I mean, I know it's the road sign and they make reference to that yeah <clears throat> anyway the band is an indie band and they have a plan to sacrifice a virgin to the devil to get a great career oh. like to be you know number one because it's really hard to get signed anymore and they make <laughs> it this big you know speech about it the guy who plays adam brody who plays the the lead singer of the band i don't remember what his name was has a lot of fun with the the bit you know being totally evil they take uh jennifer who's megan fox's character out to the woods and tie her up and you know he has something like we're gonna cut you something something and then gary here's gonna wear your face and the guy's like (laughs) and goes calm down you're not gonna made that up. <laughs> Gary's gonna kick your ass. Yeah, so uh they kill her, but because she's not a virgin and hasn't been since junior high, as her friend points out, they're not really they're they're more frenemies. They've been friends forever, and that's the only reason they're friends. Because uh-huh. they were friends in at five, so now they're friends at eighteen or whatever, seventeen. It sounds like a great anyway, premise. Anyway, uh, Jennifer comes back and starts eating boys. Oh. Um, she goes from being, you know, very sexy and uh, great looking to, as Amanda Sidfried's character, Needy says, uh, to being ugly. Well, her kind of ugly, you know. <laughs> ugly for her. Uh, to having, like, flat hair and... You know, yeah, kind of red eyes and patchy skin. It's all but, graded on a curve, sort of. So basically, she's has a demon in her, and she goes and kills some people. Oh, and then uh, she sets her eyes on Needy's boyfriend. And so uh, she she's dead, but she's reanimated by a demon. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, and uh, this all sounds good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good on paper. It's good on paper. It. <laughs> I don't quite know where it falls apart. It's just, it's kind of limp on the screen. Okay. Um, I don't know if it's Megan Fox. She does okay, but uh, I think there's something with the direction there. There's something that's... 
doesn't work, but uh, um, it's not the fault of the writing as much. Then I don't think so. Um, I think it just comes across kind of I don't know as lively as it could. Right. It could have been a little darker. It could have been a little scarier. Well, considering it's got it's got uh, human sacrifice, demonic possession, and cannibalism in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't enough for me because it's blasé now. I mean, right. <laughs> I saw two cannibals this morning and a decapitation just yesterday. I walked right past. <laughs> they didn't know it was you. You were wearing your gorilla suit. Yeah. Yeah, it's always a good way to <laughs> go incognito. Yeah, you're referencing that that silly uh, study where they, I don't remember, where they had a gorilla walk behind somebody while something else was happening that yeah. caught your attention. Yeah, yeah they, did, they did a study, they, they showed it on 2020, where they had uh, people watch a piece of, of uh, video where a group of people were passing a basketball back and forth, and you were supposed to count how many times the ball got passed. And while they were doing it, a guy in a gorilla costume totally like photobombs the, the, the scene. Just walks by in the background and nobody notices it because they're too busy trying to count the basketballs. Yeah. So they're like, uh, hey, and he just kind of, I think he stands there and jives around for a second and uh-huh, walks and away. And walks away. Yeah. <laughs> they're not like me. I, I always watch the backgrounds of movies to see, you know. What's going yeah. on back there? Like that lion taking a dump in Mighty Joe Young. He just squats down. <laughs> the bartender's going, yeah, there's this two-inch thick glass behind me, see? And that lion can't get out. And meanwhile, one of them squats and takes a big dump. They couldn't have reshot that. They probably didn't notice. They're like, yeah, hey, it's going to be on screen problem. for half a second. No one's going to see it. I'll never see this thing again. Nobody will ever have a machine they can pause and rewind. Right. And then Pink Floyd rented a movie theater and sat there and watched Wizard of Oz over and over until they finished writing their album. Yes, I'm sure they did. <laughs> yeah. And other things that never happened. So, uh, there's Big Face Off at the end. and uh, It's like an old swimming pool or something, isn't it? Yeah, there's an old swimming pool for some reason. Hmm. And, uh... Uh, Megan Fox's character, Jennifer, kills uh, Needy's boyfriend, Chip. <laughs> uh, and then Needy follows Jennifer home and stabs her. Of course, when she dies, she looks like she died just then, at which point Jennifer's mom bursts into the room to see what's going on. And Needy gets arrested and sent away because nobody believes her that there were a demon there was a demon possessing her body but she's been bitten by a demon and takes on some of the demon's abilities hmm. and goes after the band well there we go spoiler alert uh, <laughs> i forgot to give the spoiler warning at the beginning of the episode but uh we'll say it now and then edit it yeah this 200 year old book and this uh, almost 10 year old movie are going to be ruined by our yeah. podcast yeah and if you couldn't guess where Jennifer's body was going to go, yeah, I mean, I guess the little demon bit at the end's kind of different, but uh, you know, the rest of it. 
Yeah. Yeah, the, the high school revenge horror movie goes back quite a long way now. Mm-hmm. Wow. Everybody wants revenge in high school. Yeah. Yeah, the smart people are the ones who just... Uh, you know, save it for the 10-year reunion and serve that dish cold. <laughs> That's what you got to do. I've never done any reunions. I'm I, just like, I think eh. waiting even longer. Yeah. Although you lose more classmates. Yeah. Those that show up at the 50th really, <laughs> really appreciated the lengths you went to. Yeah. To kill them. <laughs> yeah. They, they know Boy, that... he holds a grudge for 50 years. I deserve to die. Just because we didn't invite him to whatever party. <laughs> <sighs> there was a funny thing that happened this summer right after I graduated. There was this group of kids that uh, they always liked teasing. They were like the, the popular kids or whatever. They always liked teasing the, uh, the weirdos, basically. Anyone who was a quote-unquote weirdo. Uh, you know, they would always say things like nice shirt. <laughs> oh, wow. I feel so insulted. Nice shirt, huh? Yeah. That's Thank all you, you. That's all you got. <laughs> what else you got? Thanks. Well, they I would, like the shirt too. They would always, um, tease the, the rockers and the new waivers and whoever else, the punks, you know, like make reference to them being, you know, stoners, you know, you guys, are you guys really high? You know, they'd always tease about that. And then a group of these idiots were um, on top of a, like an office building or something. They they saw some way you could climb up, and they were up there smoking a joint, and got busted by the cops. And this was when they would put your name in the paper. Mm-hmm. So the ones who were always teasing everyone else for being stoners turned out to be closet pot smokers. <laughs> they got arrested on the roof of a office building, like a bunch of rubes. I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> So, you know, no yep. need no need to uh, revenge, uh, you know, plot against them. They, they, no. They did themselves in. They got their names in the paper. So. They got their names in the paper. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, um, I don't know what year this goes to, uh, the Las Cruces Bowling Alley Massacre. Uh, Do you know about this? 96? No. Were you gone by then? 95? 96? I actually have a friend who was supposed to go to the bowling alley that morning with the family. Oh. And she, I don't know, whatever reason, mom didn't let her go or she was sick. Uh, so she <laughs> really lucked out there. I guess I should have started this by asking, how bad a massacre was it? I don't know anything about it, but you know, in those um, um, Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, yeah. I think they covered it. I think seven people were shot and four of them died or something. Did the bad guys basically the guys walked in to rob the place, rounded everybody up. It was before the business opened or right when it opened, um, rounded everybody up, took them in the back and shot them all. Oh, wow. And, uh, I believe they like, yeah, they shot three people point blank in the head, but didn't kill them. Weird. And they were kids too, like little kids. Jeez. Who you know were hanging out with the uh, mom. And she opens up the bowling alley, so and that's where my friend would have been with. She knew those kids. Oh wow. So uh, she was quite a bit younger than me. I met her later, but uh, 
yeah. Anyway, why do you bring it up? Oh, because they, they had like a whole list of episodes for Unsolved Mysteries. And when I was looking for the name of the one with the Oakville blobs in it. Yeah. I saw the Las Cruces Bowling Alley Massacre and I thought, oh, that's where Will's from. And I thought I should either watch the episode or ask you what it was. So um, I chose to ask you what it was. Kind of, kind of uh, strangely, <laughs> the sign for the bowling alley, which I believe was called the Sun Lanes. Uh, it had a bowling ball striking three pins and the way the holes lined up on the bowling ball and the uh on the sign the logo bad logo here it looked like a skull oh so uh it was (laughs) like kind of an ominous thing afterwards we would go drinking there because they didn't card anyone at the strangely named jose murphy's (laughs) which i believe was the only mexican irish bar in existence Jose Murphy's. Jose Murphy's. If you could stay in the bad karaoke, you could drink cheap and underage. Wow. Sounds like paradise when you're underage. Oh, yeah. It was great. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Well... Jolene, whatever you got, it's gonna it's gonna sound like uh, something out of Disney after that. (laughs) Oh yeah, (laughs) relax. The bad guys got away though. Yeah, they they never caught them. There's the moral of that story. They probably never will. Yeah. Yeah. So the haunting. Well, I hope they feel really bad. I'm sure they do. At least, if not, accidentally shot themselves while cleaning their guns. Yeah, that would be a crying shame. Yeah. 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 All right, yeah, The Haunting. Uh, this is my second favorite horror movie. Of all time. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. And this is a good one. I, you know, the first number one is Dawn of the Dead. It's just a personal thing. I'm not saying one, one's better than the other. But The Haunting, I watched it again, and it was a sunny afternoon. There was roadworks going on in the street. Um, you know, dogs climbing around. It, it shouldn't have worked again, but it did. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Does it every time. Uh, directed by Robert Wise. He's just fantastic. He kind of gets, he doesn't get enough kudos because he's a, like a journeyman director. Mm-hmm. He can, he, he'd do everything. But whatever he did, it was good. So yeah. when he did noir, it was a classic noir. Or he did musicals or science fiction or, yeah, you know, whatever. I and mean, this was off the back of West Side Story. Oh, oh wow. okay. So uh, yeah, I mean, uh, fantastic, and uh, you know he he directed Davis to Steel, and he was mm-hmm. he did the Body Snatchers and Curse yep. the Cat People, and and this is you know very much his tribute to Val Luton. So uh, you know the idea of inferring things and not showing yeah right things and um, you know his whole approach was what he'd learned under Val Luton yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, um, it's uh, works every time. It just gets in your head. Shirley Jackson. Yep. So it's based on the Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson, mm-hmm. and she was still around. She died pretty young, but she she still had a few years to go when they were working on this. Oh, okay. So the uh, <clears throat> the writer was Nelson Gidding, and um, uh, he did an early draft where um, there's this. Basically, it centers on this woman called Eleanor. Mm-hmm. And uh, who uh, that she feels the house wants her, yeah, 
and um, and she's made part of this team that's investigating Hill House. And uh, in in his early draft of the screenplay, um, Nelson Gidding had it that uh, the house was in her head. She was actually in a an asylum of some sort, a hospital. Oh. And then the the banging would be the banging of doors, and the the various therapies they were doing would have this okay supernatural thing presence in her head. But it would actually be and, yeah. And so all the characters would actually be staff and patients. Oh, okay. But he went to see Shirley Jackson, and uh, she said, "Well, the, the novel's supernatural, but you know, do what do, do what you want." And so he he like. He, he changed it so it's it's ambiguous yeah so one of the things that keeps you coming back to this movie is like there's these layers to the characters and it, and it peels away layers and gets into the heads and, mm-hmm. and uh for yeah so you can watch it and you can think oh is eleanor crazy and this is all in her head or you know whose point of view are we seeing but there's yeah um you can, and you can take it as face value, and there's definitely supernatural things going on. Yeah, uh, you're not going to see any ghosts. Usually, my first pass at a movie, I I, I try to take everything at face value. I don't mm-hmm. uh, I don't look for the unreliable narrator, or yeah. am I being duped as the viewer? Right. You know, I usually go, okay, well, yeah, Moby Dick. It's a film about uh, or book about. Mm-hmm. Uh, a big white whale and a guy who's pissed off at it. Yes. it no it is, symbolism there. No, it bit his leg off. That's all there is to it. He's yeah. mad. Wants revenge. He's not waiting until the 10-year reunion either. Nope. So, yeah. So so this leaves it up to you, the viewer, yeah. to how to interpret. And you, you can keep coming back and, and look at, you know, follow various characters because they're, they're quite layered. You know, you, you, uh, like the, um, the first couple of times you see it, there's this... Uh, the young, the youngest one is a character called Luke, played by Russ Tamblin, okay, who'd just been in West Side Story, ah, uh, and he he'd been Tom Thumb and in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, and he went on to Satan's Slaves and War of the Gargantuas, <laughs> um, which is a logical progression from West Side Story, yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, so he he, the character <clears throat> first first time around, you think he was a bit of a jerk. He's this like young like hip guy. Mm-hmm. He'd be cynical and kind of laconic about everything, but then, yeah, you, you kind of realise that he's doing some things out of compassion for the other characters, and every 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 character has has like uh, they have these like roles that they play. Mm-hmm. They have like shields that they present to society. Like the yeah, the head of the team is Doctor Markway, who's um, Montague in the novel. He's played by Richard Johnson, who is in zombie okay um but uh yeah so he's the he's this he's leading this ghost hunting team and he's also the orator it's like when the movie begins like the first five or six minutes are him talking about the history of the house Mm -hmm. so you think it's going to be from his point of view so it goes through the history of the the tragedies that that have happened in the house and then uh and then you realize he's presenting this history to this woman who's going to allow this investigation to happen Mm -hmm. and then uh, after that the only voiceovers you get are the internal voice of eleanor okay so it goes it burrows into her head 
but uh, yeah, I mean, it's a great cast. It's got so it's got Johnson. It's got um, uh, Eleanor is played by Julie Harris, who'd been in East of Eden. Okay. And uh, yeah, she had a long career. No, they all had long careers. I mean, she was in Gorillas in the Mist. Wow. Oh, wow. Um, and it's Theodora, who's this. Uh, she's unusual because like she's uh, she's a lesbian character. Yeah. Which they made. Uh, they did have ideas to make it more explicit, but the whole idea of the movie was to not be explicit. So is it clear enough though? Do oh yeah, they, yeah. Okay. Everyone but Ele- Eleanor knows. Okay. And Eleanor finally twigs to it, but, okay. and, and calls her a freak. Uh, one of nature's mistakes <laughs> when they have one of their fights. Wow. Because like uh, Theodora, uh, she's she's um, she knows how to push people's buttons. She's really perceptive about character yeah and so she you know she's attracted to eleanor and um but uh she and she pushes her buttons when especially when eleanor's scared she wants to make her really angry and kind of snap her out of it yeah so she's she says some pretty nasty things about her and and she really she really gets the hang of what eleanor's relationship was with her own mother Mm. And because uh, most of her adult life, she's been taking care of her invalid mother who like would lay in bed and just bang on the walls and Eleanor would have to come running. Oh. And uh, and finally, she just one night she decided not to. And that's when her mother died, of course. So she's got this horrible yeah. burden. And then her living relatives uh, don't like her. and She's like having to live on the couch in their apartment. So she's. She really wants to get away, and this so this opportunity comes up, and she's like, you know, "I hope, I hope, I hope that this is going to be everything I've dreamed of." And so she meets this like dashing older man who's, you know, he's, he's got his adventurous life, and she meets this like interesting, strange woman who you know, dresses in Mary Quant style beatnik clothes, and, <laughs> and, um, and then, so yeah, she's you know she's really excited about. Yeah. going there what year is this movie uh it was shot in autumn of 62 came out in 63 okay so this oh wow this is cool it, it predates uh so it predates rosemary's baby oh, yeah. by a handful of years mm-hmm. um same year as the birds yeah i was gonna say it's after psycho after psycho but yeah. before the birds yeah same year oh same year as the birds okay wow this is a good time yeah, as far as these kind of movies go, uh, big influence on Stephen King. Mm-hmm. And you've got you've got there there is a character called Carrie, but uh, the main thing is that Eleanor, when she was ten, there was a mysterious rain of stones on her house. So that's why she's been recruited into the team because she's got some kind of uh, things happen. Yeah, in her history, which uh, can't be explained. Uh, she tries to explain it away. Yeah. But uh, yeah, everyone else thinks oh, it's a poltergeist or something like that. Is it shot in Technicolor? No, he no, uh, he he wanted it black and white. So and it he is black. And had white. it in the contract that it should be in black and white. Oh wow! And in fact, uh, so decades later, when Ted Turner was wanting to colorize classic movies, he started working on The Haunting, and Robert Wise heard about it and said, "No, in the contract it's black and white. You can't do it." Oh, good. Nice. And it looks great. Yeah, yeah, and he he just done West Side Story, which really pushes color. Yeah, um, you know, great graphic color imagery in that. It's it's interesting that it was still a creative choice at that point mm-hmm. in time, and there was only a what a two or three year window where that would be a thing, right? 
Yeah, and it was still uh, in Japan. It lasted a lot longer, where they they kept black and white as a choice. Yeah, in in mainstream cinema. Yeah, in, in America, it was mostly gone. Yeah, by that time, because you know, black and white was TV. Right. Yeah. By yeah. that point, and really in America, the next the next cool thing is all everybody wants mm-hmm. and whatever the previous thing is needs to just go die in a fire <laughs> you know? it's like uh, uh we have sound for movies now okay well no mm-hmm. more silent films uh talkies are all there is and you know we can destroy all those now right <laughs> stop making them immediately um yeah so i mean it's it's in black and white but he, he's also the camera is really there's a lot of motion with this camera and they really yeah. tried out some new stuff with the camera moves. There's some really tricky stuff. Like they built this, uh, they, they rigged this uh, spiral staircase so the camera could go whizzing down the railing. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, there's some really good stuff in it. And they also had, uh, they got hold of this um, uh, Panavision lens. Uh, it, it, was, it was like a faulty lens. Uh, what was it? It was, it was a 30 millimeter anamorphic lens okay which panavision was working on and it wasn't ready it was you know it wasn't working properly they okay sorted it out but robert wise saw potential in it because of how wonky it made things oh so he he, he begged and he, he got this lens and the um and he must have been working with the, the dp was uh, davis bolton they got a hold of this lens but they had to sign a a form to uh so that uh, showing that he knew it was faulty because they didn't want it to, yeah, make them look bad. But yeah, so, so there's all these like wonky, distorted panovision. Yeah, you know, the camera is really this malevolent presence in a lot of them. Oh, and it it, it like it zooms in on women. It, you know, it, it actually kills a woman at one point, and yeah, and it almost kills Eleanor. That's another, what I remember. Another like about crash it. zoom from the from right up the tower up down to the balcony and almost yeah. knocks her off. Um, yeah, um, and you you got uh, the, the cool music by Humphrey Searle. Um, and it's filmed at this great house which you can go to to this day. You can stay there. It's a, it's a hotel now. Where, where, where is it? Ettington Park, which oh. is near. Uh, Stratford upon Avon. Okay. Warwickshire. No idea. West side of England. I'll, I'll look on a map. Yeah. <laughs> Middle Westish. Okay. <laughs> Middle Westish. Yeah, Eddington yeah. Park Hotel. And the uh, so that's the exteriors and then the interiors were all sets. Um designed by um Elliot Scott. Mm. And they're fantastic. This it's like crammed with Rococo detail and and the, there's a, like a, all the walls that like have relief patterns on them. And like uh, flocked wallpaper. Yes, yeah, so yeah. there's always like leaves patterns. Oh, nice. But at, at one on one of the nights, uh, you you kind of zoom in on the the wall, and then the light changes really subtly, and then you, this kind of face, you know, because because like the humans tend to see faces and things. Uh-huh. Where yeah. There's no faces. This kind of face comes out of the shadow. It's not it's, you know it's not a face, but it just it just looks like a green man or something staring out yeah. the leaves. Oh, cool! Oh, it's really spooky. That that scene ends up. That's the scene where she's holding Theo's hand. Oh, okay. And you know where that goes. I don't want to spoil it. Okay. Yeah. But that's a famous scene every time. <laughs> it's so scary. Cool. Um, yeah. 
there's there's no special effects like like in in the in the remake it's like tons of cg stuff but this one you get composite shots and rear projection uh but not that you notice yeah uh they use like infrared for filming the exterior so it looks kind of weird contrast going on and it gets a, like a white glow on things or no yeah yeah the, the the um if you if you kind of pay attention to it the clouds look like they're in negative okay this is weird yeah. glow and darkness in the daylight sky i remember that um seeing some photos back in the day when people were still shooting on film um still photos shot on infrared film i remember there was always some weird ethereal glow yeah. to the light yeah and I always like that. If you watch uh, there's a movie called I Am Cuba, where they used it a lot. Yeah, you it's talked about that movie. So I really weird want to see that. looking. Yeah, it's fantastic. That's the one where the camera dives into the pool. Yeah, like it, <laughs> it goes off a diving board. You know, and imagine how big the cameras were back then. Yeah. Into follows a person into the swimming pool, in and out of the water. It's just how did they do that? It's so cool. <laughs> um, anyway, um, who else is in it? Lois Maxwell. Hmm. Uh, so. In '62, she was Miss Moneypenny. Oh, okay. wow! Um, so she—that's you know, immortalized her. She turns up as uh, Grace Markway, the uh, wife of the investigator, and, and she's kind of tired of him going on these ghost hunts, and she wants him to give it up. So she's like, "All right, this is all rubbish. You know, put me in the worst room in the house." And and uh, by that point, Eleanor fancies Doctor Markway, so she suggests the nursery, which is the room that everyone's been forbidden from going in. Mm-hmm. It's this nursery where the, the, the second wife of the house uh, was an invalid. And it's like, it's got like a suffer the children written in like Gothic script over the archway. And then <laughs> wow. like, the top of the bed, there's this like horrible, like biblical things about how, you know, children are full of sin. And, but um, yeah, so, uh, and it's got this like cold patch right outside the door. Um, but yeah, so, so, Grace Markway says, I'm going to stay in that room and prove to you this is all rubbish. And of course, <laughs> she gets a couple of the scary shocks oh, good. later in the movie. Um, yeah, she suffers. But uh, um, yeah, I, I just love it. Um, well, that's see something new every time. That's great to have something that holds up for decades like that. Mm-hmm. You know, five plus decades later. Yeah, I and mean, um, people like Martin Scorsese say it's their favorite horror movie. Spielberg loves it. Oh wow! And of course, Stephen King loves it. He he wanted to do this remake, uh, so he wanted to do a film with um, Spielberg and call it Rose Red, huh. which eventually got filmed. But it it was really it was a different haunted house story by that time. Yeah, well, I was gonna say they did a mini series. Yeah, it's like a two part. Do you remember it being any good? I don't remember watching it. I remember it being okay. Yeah. I feel like I watched it, but I remember nothing of it. <laughs> you know? Uh, hey, when that happens. <laughs> I don't know why I wouldn't have watched it, so I imagine I did. I sat through the Langoliers. So. <laughs> oh, right. You ever feel like the kid that, that does didn't read the book and is trying to get up and give the book report and they're trying to fake it? <laughs> I know I saw it. Um, but there's a guy in it. This this place, like the caretakers for the house, this excellent couple, the Dudleys. Uh-huh. The woman, like, she has this routine she does to all the people. She she, she wants to terrify them, so she goes, uh, "I'm not coming back at night. 
in the dark. <laughs> and like like part of the strategy of this movie, it sets up a scary situation and then it says, oh, look, this isn't, there's nothing here. Yeah. It, this is silly, you know, make a joke of it. And then something happens. So one of the things is she has this routine where she goes, I'm not coming back in the, at night in the dark. So the first time she does it is to Eleanor. And uh, and you you can tell it rattles her. Uh-huh. And then the second time she does it, it's to Theo, and she's like so worldly wise. She's like just you know laughs it off and talks over her. And uh, but the, but the, then you know it's you know she's yeah. saying something real. And then uh, her husband is um, he's the gatekeeper. He's played by Valentine Dial, who uh, British people would know from as being the Man in Black. He has this right really deep voice. Uh, he, he did like these radio shows from late forties. Oh, okay. He played the Man in Black, but he was he was he was doing those voiceovers for a long, long time. He had a really long life career. Um, I remember him doing stuff in the eighties. Uh, he was in Horror Hotel as well, aka City of the Dead. Oh. Um, yeah, he's really cool. But yeah, as I said, it's like a, one of the early scares is um, where. Uh, uh, Dr. Markway comes into this room where the, the two women are and he's telling them about the architecture of the house, how there's no straight, you know, there's no like right angles or anything yeah. like that. And uh, doors won't stay open. They'll close themselves. And he says, look, watch this. And he shows them the door of this this reading room where where they are. And, and he opens it and he says, now watch this. And they stand there for a few seconds. Nothing happens. And so they just carry on talking. And then... Uh, the next time you see the door, it's closed. Yeah. So like you get this. Uh, oh no, this is this is a rubbish thing, and it's like a joke, and they laugh at it. And then the next time you see it, it's closed for some reason. You never heard it closing. It's like whoa. <laughs> I like so, that. Yeah. So it has that kind of strategy of putting you. There's so many um, ways it kind of wrong foots you. Like a lot of the editing. There's mismatched angles. Okay. Like the the directions people are going, you expect them to be going in a certain direction. The next shot. Yeah. Uh, so it breaks those rules because like you know Robert Wise is a master of editing. Well, and any good horror film is going to have some misdirection in it. Yeah. Or some like you you mentioned this is probably a very early incident of double uh, like the double fake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know where they you think you're being set up for a scare. And right. Then, then, right. Then right. you let your guard down. Yeah. Yeah. Then the scare. That, that's great. I like. I like knowing right. that. Here's here's an early. Did any, anyone close a, uh, a medicine cabinet mirror? And... No, nothing so crass. Okay. Well, th- see, whoever did it first was brilliant. Yep. I don't know who that was or when, but I, I'd love to know. We'll probably find out. Yeah, <laughs> we gotta find that out somehow, because it's been done to death now. Yeah. There is a there is a shot where she's kind of. There's like this uh, fisheye distortion and then it pulls out and you realize what you're seeing is this like curved mirror, <clears throat> oh, convex mirror and yeah. she's running towards it. Oh, that's uh, pretty cool. But it, it's not, it's not like she's closing a door and seeing someone else. Right. Uh, but there's lots of, you know, distorted lenses and, and uh, bizarre angles. Like you often see Eleanor from above and it, like the camera is the house's point of view, right. yeah. you know, for a lot of the movie. Yeah, I like that. It's the the killer's POV, but it's it's the house. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's cool. So yeah, really interesting to watch and point of view of cinematography. 
It's really weird. Sometimes you'll see a movie where there's a like it looks like a POV shot, and you think, oh, am I seeing like uh, is this is this what Jason Voorhees is seeing or whatever? Mm-hmm. You know, there are movies where they you think you're getting a POV and then you're not. Mm. Just because. Yeah, John Carpenter was good at that in Halloween. Yeah. Because like the whole frame, you don't know where if Michael Myers is going to come from the side. Right. Or he's going to appear in the background or are you actually looking through his eyes you know yeah kind of it's it's good when it's when it's being done like that on purpose but when Mm -hmm. it's just clumsily like like a whoops that wasn't a pov shot sorry (laughs) so have you both watched the home i have it's been a long time i feel like i've seen it but it's been many years and again like the kid who's trying to fake like they read the book (laughs) giving the book report yeah. I remember nothing it's of it. It's an excellent novel as well. Right. It's got the whole passage from the start where it's, you know, he's he's talking about the house and whatever walks there walks alone. Ah. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's definitely yeah, an excellent book. Yeah. Yeah. Watch it again for the first time. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. There yeah. it is. <laughs> Lovely Blu-ray. Excellent. So, uh, highly recommended then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, when we reconvene for next time, then uh, Will will have seen it. Maybe I can bum it off of him before we all get together. Yeah. Um, any anything that that uh, that was left unsaid about the movie? Um, I was trying to read uh, reviews from the time. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting that it didn't do that well. It made money. Okay. Um, you know, it made like almost twice its what it cost. Oh. Well, that's a win. Um, but it wasn't spectacular. It w- uh, and critics were generally like, "Oh, this is you know, this is okay." Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it is over the years it got the reputation. You know, when when the Monster Kids were saying, you know, like Spielberg and King yeah. were picking up on it and saying, "You got to see this." Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, and and like Pauline Kale wrote about being in an audience where people were like hating it. Oh, weird. Because uh, if you're expecting a movie where you're seeing the monster or, or whatever, people are like watching it and saying, nothing's happening, nothing's going on. <laughs> they hated it. But uh, yeah, so it, it shows that audiences weren't that different. Well, if you're expecting the creature from the Black Lagoon, you're right. going to be let down, but the movie isn't called the creature of anything, <laughs> yeah. is it? No. Yeah, so... Like where where those expectations come from? That's always you, know, you kind of wonder what's wrong with audiences sometimes. Even then, mm-hmm. when people supposedly had a better appreciation for yeah, it's not like a, you know you have this idea of oh back in the day you could just suggest things and audiences would be satisfied. Well, no, they weren't. No, not always. <laughs> I think they were a little more easily satisfied than these days. But then you look at some entertainment; it's so damn stupid. I wonder, like, well. Why does that work for anybody? You know, like Poe, like certain. Was that Poe? Oh no, the Raven. The Raven, yeah. Raven. Certain sitcoms. Oh man. So uh, we were talking on the way over here about uh, maybe maybe picking something uh, from Ireland to kick off March. I think we should watch Leprechaun movies all of March. No. All I said the four, <laughs> four of the episodes of Leprechaun. Uh, I said the same thing and Jolien was like, um, there's, there's horror movies from Ireland. <laughs> you got Sheridan Le Fanu. 
Bram Stoker. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the Banshee. The Leprechaun. I don't want to watch the Leprechaun movies again. <laughs> again? I've seen him. Oh my yeah. god, really? <laughs> yeah, I think I've seen more Leprechauns than I should have. I feel the same way. What about the one in space? Yeah, there's more than four four of those movies. Oh man. Yeah. We should watch a Leprechaun in space. Oh, it's bad. It's really bad. I bet it is. It's as bad as Jason in space. Oh. I'll only watch it if you can come up with a drinking game before. <laughs> right. Uh, well, you know what we'll do. Every mention of gold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, um, my. Every shot where it looks like it hurts for that guy to walk in those shoes. Uh-huh. Anytime they add some sort of modifier to a normal word to make it spacey sounding <laughs> close the astro door or something right. <sighs> you have to take a drink all right well we'll, we'll pick something um have you seen leprechaun in the hood i feel like i've not man maybe i have like <laughs> like you want to forget these shitty movies after you watch them so you know yeah what are you gonna do I just remember Coolio has a shot in that movie that I swear was not filmed when the movie was filmed. That they somehow got footage of Coolio because he's leaning against a door and he kind of waves at the camera. So it's like surveillance footage. <laughs> no, it's basically like somebody took home footage or they were like, oh, yeah, I kind of know Coolio. And they filmed something or maybe they filmed it for something else and they just spliced it in. So wow. I want somebody else to watch it. That's what I remember from it was just this very brief random shot of Coolio at a house party. <laughs> oh, God. All right. So we'll pick something having to do with, with uh, Irish mysticism, Ireland, or leprechauns. leprechauns. <laughs> and uh, we covered Women in Horror Month. Um, pretty handily question mark oh yeah we don't have to talk about women anymore ever yeah. again done nothing but man movies for the rest of the year rocky 666 <laughs> i like that idea rocky possessed by the devil all right should we get out of here yes yeah. okay well listeners thank you for listening stay off the moors <laughs>